0: Hello, and welcome to the Reset Show number 19. Today's show is entitled Take Pride. And to help us on that mission is today's special guest, Sheila Parry, who is, of course, the author of the 2018 book, Take Pride, How to Build Organizational Success Through People. As well as being passionate about people and business, Sheila is a big fan of cricket, giraffes, And Jim, well, at least that's what I've gathered from looking at her Twitter feed. So, Sheila, thanks very much for joining us today. In a moment, you can confirm or correct my assumptions. But for now, a quick round of thank yous uh, to my co-hosts, of course, Belinda Ganaway and Emma Bridger, our researcher and show producer and all round star, Katie Austin, our live studio audience, some regular faces there, welcome to you, And of course, ultimately, to you, our YouTube watchers and podcast listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, one and all. So up next to bat is Emma to tell you a bit about the show.
1: Cool. Thanks, Justin. And welcome, everybody, to The Reset Show. Um, if you've been here before, you know the score, you know what this is all about. But just in case you're a new listener and if you are, welcome or a new, new viewer. Um, the Reset Show was put together originally uh, about a year ago to bring together like-minded people and wonderful guests to think about how we can make the most of the opportunities that we have uh, available to us at the moment of being able to do things differently and do things uh, better in a better way to help people thrive and be their best selves at work. So that's what this is all about. So, welcome to the show and welcome, Sheila. Going to hand over to Bee now, who's going to kick off proceedings. Over to
2: you, Be. Thank you. So, I get to explain a little bit about how I um, met Sheila and, and how we've come to be here. So, I feel a little bit of a fraud because Emma and Sheila actually go. Way way back, I think you established it was about 16 or 17 years. And actually, Sheila and I actually only met a couple of months ago when I was giving a talk about Emma and my new book on EX design. I was giving a talk to the IABC and Sheila, I think you you, you asked a, a great question about measurement and evaluation. So um now it's our turn to ask you some hopefully equally good questions. So thank you very much for joining us. I don't think we've ever mentioned giraffes on a show before, but I think they've come up twice um, before we started recording. So I'd love to know that. But I guess my first question for you, is there anything in Justin's introduction to you? um, Anything that hasn't been mentioned that we really should know about you?
3: No, I think um, I think Justin found out my true my true self. Um, I suppose. Thank you so much for inviting me. I should say that first of all. But I think what I would say is that when pretty early on in my career I was so lucky because I landed a job I loved mm-hmm. and I thought that was normal and so over the course of my career I've obviously come across people who haven't haven't always loved their jobs and, and that's what began the passion for me to, to try to you know to try to make work better frankly uh, and to kill the sort of myths about bit work being being bad for you on so many fronts so so I guess that's it. I think my passion for people and business hopefully will come out over the next few minutes. Yeah.
2: Fabulous. Thank you so much. I love that. I mean, how lucky. So your first experience of work was such a positive such a positive one. I think my first experience of work was actually my father talking about work. He hated his work so much that he wouldn't let us introduce it as a topic of conversation at all, ever, at home. So that was my introduction to the world of work, about just how negative an experience it could be. So polar opposites there. So. You've obviously, you know, Vincent, since that first really... Andy, why don't you give us a... Tell us what you did from that first point where you had this job that you, you really loved and you thought this would be the way it should be. What did you do from there? What did your career sort of journey look like from there? What are some of the things that you've done on that journey around making work better for people?
3: Okay, so, so I started off my proper career in, in advertising, actually, and I was really lucky to work in a in a quite an exciting advertising agency called Yellowhammer in the nineteen eighties, which was was kind of like the top of the second division. It wasn't up there with McCanns and and Saatchi's and what have you, but it was a really gritty, busy agency and um I worked on below the line which meant all the stuff that you don't you don't always pay for media you have the leaflets in the banks and the magazines the, the loyalty magazines and stuff like that and I just began to realize that how business worked you know it, it, at first it was all about the message and the and the creative and the image but with below the line you actually have to sort of go through almost like a supply chain it's a bit it's a bit sort of became a bit of an anorak really about how how business worked, and and all the communication that goes on around business um, was the bits that I was doing I wasn't like a copywriter or an art director I was an account manager but you did you did all the kind of the, the sort of behind the scenes stuff and so I started writing about people's lives at work um and 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 that got into weirdly internal communications in a in a, in a later, in a later form, it's in an early form, actually, in, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, yeah, and then I started, well I mean, if you if I, I think if you ask people what they do, and they're passionate about what they do, it's really infectious. Mm. And so I kind of had a very positive energy around work. And then I, you know, inevitably, I, you know, I, I got the job I hated, like we all do at one particular point. Um, and, and I realised I had to escape. And in, in that process, began to think, well, what is it? What is it that makes the workplace a really good place? And what is it that that, that, that spoils it? Um, and well, we'll get to it. But But I suppose a fundamental learning is that people make or break your experience at work. Um, above all others uh, and so if you can find the right people to work with and if you then start being a manager or a leader and you can generate that positive team of positivity around your people and get the best out of them um, and, get, and get them to love being there then then you create the, the right environment for, for, for the majority and so mm-hmm. it, it became it sort of evolved, you know, with realisation, but through personal experience, really.
2: Fabulous. So super interesting career, and obviously you had your own business as well, and a successful book. Um, what, what are
3: you doing now? Well, since the book, actually, I mean, it, it has taken me into the role of working directly with more directly with individuals. And that actually was a departure. That was a step I was wanting to take because I think when you work in an agency, my agency was an employee communications agency and by by default our clients were very large. I mean clients who have budgets to spend on internal communications externally with campaigns or strategy tend to be very large and so the impact that we had was, was it was measurable and it was good but it wasn't always at the nub of the problem or at the nub of the the people that you know that we that we needed to reach in order to affect change. So towards the end of my career at Liborum, I worked with the most fantastic CEO, and I, I will give him a credit. He's he's, he's called Friedrich George Lischka. Uh, a love a lovely. Um, uh, ceo who i met when he was at mars drinks and he was uh the leader of about 500 people across the uk france and germany and his passion for people and business actually i mean he was a really sort of numbers man as well um his passion for people was so sort of um tangible that I started to talk to him about, uh, I, was, I was appointed to him as a communications consultant because I had a lot of experience of working with German business people in Germany and outside Germany. And I worked with him directly on communications consultancy for him and for his you know, personal style and personal effectiveness as a communicator. Um, but he, his, his sort of philosophy was so tangible and real, I started to kind of def- try to define it. Mm -hmm. so so that was a pivotal point that wanted that made me want to um work more with individuals as opposed to big brands and, and and big campaigns and the books allowed me to do that because people tend to call me now if they want to do something it's not like a case of pitching for for work it's a case of you know I think we've got this issue I think you can help can we talk about it and that's that's the departure I, I needed, I think, at the point of my career, um, and that, and I, that's what I love. That's what I love. Such
2: a, I've got such a visual image of the of that that sort of that that relationship, and then the book being real bridge to to what you're doing now and working with individuals as opposed to corporates and teams. So really interesting. Which probably leads us into tell us a
3: little bit about pride. Yeah, so pride as a concept, I think, is 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 fascinating in the world of work because. Um, it's one of those it's one of those words that's banded around, mm. I, I think way back in like way back in one of my, my other favorite jobs, which was with DHL in the 90s. I, I um my first job, I had to communicate the results of the employee opinion survey. And there is this um, question, Are you know, how proud are you to work at DHL? And and the score was like really high. I mean, it's like, you know, high 80s, or I don't know, really, really high, something that really only big brands tend to, to achieve. And um, and yet, you know, if you if you delved into other areas where they needed to improve, they seemed really counterintuitive. And I mean, this was a good company and a, and a company that invested in people, but they they still had issues like um, you know, people not always being free to speak their mind or feeling confident in speaking their mind or or not being totally informed about you know where their department was going like it's just the normal stuff you know not the big critical stuff but and I started thinking well how is it that you know 80% of people vote for saying yes I'm proud to work here but there are these other issues going on and if you go to companies at the other end of the scale with toxic cultures, you know, you could be very proud to work for a brand because it's got a great brand reputation, but then you get to the company as I did in my in my bad experience, which I won't name and shame. But I, my bad experience was I was so excited to go and work for this big brand, and I got there, and and the the integrity of the of the reputation wasn't wasn't present, and and there were issues there around. Delivery, or you know, the the integrity of the brand promise just wasn't there, and and that's what um, those are the two fundamental parts, or two of the fundamental parts of the pride model, the reputation of your brand and the integrity of that offering, and and my life's work actually has been about making brand promise real. I mean, even in the agency, that was what we did. We were made sure that the internal experience of working for a company actually. Ch- chimed with the, the rep- reputation of that organization like DHL you know working I worked for 15 years with DHL on on internal communications engagement cultural values and they were they were one of the forerunners of of making that brand promise real uh in my career anyway um, but but you know I wanted to go in deep to pride and say what really does pride mean uh, and what, what makes you proud to work for you know, Tony's Lonely, or Cadburys, knowing mm. that they're at completely different companies in the chocolate arena. What 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 triggers those emotions? So so pride is all about. My model is all about uncovering what really what it means to have pride, and then identifying those conditions that generate pride. And, and as I say, reputation and integrity are, are are the fundamentals. But mm. you know, you could be a good company. Uh, if you get those right, but in order to be a brilliant company, there, there are other things that, that that pride entails, and I and we'll will come will come to them. But you know, purpose and energy and, and direction, et etc.
2: Perfect. Yeah. So I'm interested since since you wrote the book. I mean, we can break it down as as you say. We can look yeah, at yeah. each of the of the letters in it a little bit more. But I'm just interested in with the work that you're doing at the moment where are you seeing the biggest shifts and trends sort of within or maybe even counter to the kind of like the core elements of the pride approach?
3: Sure, uh, sure. I, I, I think that when I wrote the book, um, the, the whole concept of purpose was emerging as a corporate theme, let's call it that. <laughs> um, my passionate belief is that people have always needed purpose. This is not a millennial um, phenomenon. It's not, a, uh, it's not only for you know, people who work in you know, healthcare or pharmaceuticals or education. We're all looking for purpose. And, and if you find purpose at work, you, you will have a fundamental part of what will make you happy i mean that you could you know you know the stats <laughs> but you know just just let's talk common sense and feeling you know if you love what you do and you have purpose you think you're doing good you think you're making contribution you think you're using your skills you think you're learning whatever it is that turns you on you're like you'll have one big step now when i wrote the book that was sort of in on the agenda and in my view it was it was partly because of millennials talking about it more, but it was a lot to do with the fact that we just had the financial crisis. We just had the, the you know, BMP's um, expenses crisis. We just had the crisis of Jimmy Savile at the BBC. You know, lot of the institutions that we trust had let us down. And so a lot of corporates had to reinvent themselves or re- reinvent their, their reputation. And, and frankly, they were using um, purpose as a kind of renaissance of trust, you know, uh, to, to to say we'll come and look at us, we'll try to do things better, and so it 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 became a little bit of a a bit of a slow you know a bit of a sort of tactic I think. Having said that, there are so many corporations who have truly brilliant purposes, and so you know there are there are companies that. That I researched for the book, like Gandhi's, you know, the, the the travel clothing company that was founded by the the two 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 of the boys who were um, made who were orphaned in the tsunami of two thousand and four. They started as um, flip flops for orphans, and they ended up, you know, as Gandhis, which is a high quality travel. Uh, clothing brands but they they are there to make life better for fellow orphans you know i mean they they give that you know uh, a percentage of their profits away they they have lots of um projects uh, uh, that support uh kids who need to be supported in learning and in the community now i mean you know we you all have your favorites we all know know some of them um and then there are companies that that you know like the like the blue ballroom that i ran i mean it, you know i set it up to 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 do good internal communications, creative work, it, it was there. It's like like an advertising agency, but for internal comms. But after a few years, I thought actually, you know, the impact's a bit more serious than that. Mm-hmm. We're actually probably improving the lives of some people at work, and that became our purpose: to to make work better, to you know, to inc- improve the communication skills of our clients, not not mm-hmm. the campaigns, mm-hmm. and to. Um, you know, where you where we cross over with you, you know, improve the employee experience, I and mean, it's fundamental. And so that became my purpose. It, I didn't wake up with it when I was 25, you know, yeah. it evolved, you know. Um, yeah. and I still need to refresh my purpose from time to time, we, you know, um, and, and so and so do companies. So I think purpose is it, it, it was something that was very current and it was emerging. When I started researching, sort of 2015, 2016, but now, my goodness, you know, there's a lot more um, sort of I think authentic responsibility around corporates now, mm-hmm. and I think they're not, you know, they're, they're, there's well-being and there's there's um, where mel- mental health awareness, there's there's being an authentic leader, there's having being a, a, co- a socially co- a socially responsible corporate. I think those things are all connected, yeah. you know, and I think they are connected to a real trend of responsible business and, and, and society and employees and stakeholders and shareholders and, and to some extent customers wanting to see businesses acting more responsibly. Mm. And, I, and I, so I, I, I think that, you know, there was a sort of mini trend, if you like. Yeah. Uh, when I started writing but that's become quite a quite a change I think in yeah. in in my experience of how business uh behaves yeah in, in this century 21st century I've
2: got one more sort of follow-on question to your sort of observation yeah. and then I'll come to Emma because I know that she'll definitely want to explore stuff around sort of meaning of work and other things as well <laughs> but I'm imagining and maybe I'm just jumping in conclusions that that trend of responsible business and all the stuff we talked about seems very different to probably the advertising agency world that you're working in at the beginning of your career? Or am I drawing conclusions that just don't, aren't right?
3: That's a great question, actually. I think, um, let's say, you know, at, at 30 or 40 years on, my sensitivities are probably greater now to what... To what CEOs and boards care about but I could probably say yeah in 1983 the the focus was on profit the focus was on big uh big splashy brands and um the fun if you like I think around the communications industry was yeah let's go and work Let's go and work for Barclays Bank because they're they're hiring Ridley Scott for their TV commercial, and and we're all going to you know be on another planet, and we're going to have you know huge lots of drama. I think yes, probably we were more worried about profit, uh, but I don't know if it's I don't know if it's just just the wisdom of a, of a bit of experience that you know you get you get a bit more serious. Having said that, Yellowhammer, we worked for Greenpeace, and I mean they were. St- Trying to change change yeah. the supply of the fur trade, you know, so that yeah. there were there was ethical business and there were, you know, there were there were causes uh that that we worked on then. But certainly, I didn't worry so much about the impact, and I'm, I was definitely more excited by the by the message.
2: Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, I started my my working life as a journalist, and then PR and marketing, and actually even when I was doing my postgrad in marketing, it was the focus was what's the objective of marketing? It's to deliver shareholder value, shareholder value, I like profits, money. There yeah. was, you know, if there was a mention of anything to do with responsible business, it was that sort of like very narrow strand that was known as CSR, but it was all about shareholder value.
3: Yes, well, I think the question you 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 were sort of getting at with the pur- with purpose. It's this it, people used to talk about greenwash, didn't they? Yes. You know, and and where the companies were just sort of saying that they were worrying about the environment and or turning the lights off when they went home or shredding you know shredding their paper and they didn't really care about the sort of economic impact of their supply chain. Mm-hmm. And, and now companies, you know, are do, um, uh, and I I I think to be. To be really sustainable in, in the commercial sense, uh uh one companies now have to think of the long-term impacts of their of, of their business on, on the environment and, and on society. Yes,
2: it must have been a lot easier to be a CEO of a big corporate, I would imagine, in the 80s when you had one task to make more money than it is now to to make money and do it ethically and responsibly and sustain etc etc et
3: yes i guess so and also people you know i think when i started mm. I, it wasn't quite it wasn't quite in the dark ages when you were grateful to have a job but yeah. i did enter the, i did enter the workforce after the 1980s recession mm. and i was grateful to have a job and i and, and and you know i wasn't joining a company asking when i was going to become a director you know i i didn't have that companies that I worked for didn't have that employee centric um, approach that many, many, many do display now. Yeah. Um, so I think possibly the relationship of, you know, the, the, the value of the individual and the relationship between employee and employer has changed over, over the, my career. Mm-hmm. And I think that's changed the better mm-hmm. so that, you know, employees, and that this is like one of my kind of, I don't know, so many soapboxes um, is um, is the importance of the individual at every every step of the way in your in your life. But I mean, in your career, even if you work in a company of like in DHR, you know, it's part of Deutsche Post. It's like half a million employees. So, you know, like the directors there maybe have, you know, units with hundreds of thousands of people they're not real structures. The real structure is what it's like to work in that hub in Reading or that that hub in, you know, wherever, wherever around the world and, and your relationships with those 100 people or your 50 people or your shift of 20. Uh, and this is one of my mantras really, is that, that you can make a difference to your own success, but you can also make a huge difference to the success of your team and 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 with the days of Facebook, and we all know thousands of people, and we all know, you know, the intimate secrets of their lives, and uh, you know you, every single person. If they're a boss, you can know a hundred people really well. There, there, are, nobody is too clever or too busy or too important not to know their team. Yes, and, and so like my the lovely Friedrich at, at Mars Drinks, I used to think, well, actually, you know. If if a company of a hundred thousand had, you know, a thousand Friedrichs, you or I should say Frederikas, um, it, it would it would actually change the culture. You, you if it's all little we're all working in little communities, um, and everybody matters. And I think that companies generally, business generally, is getting much better at understanding that. Seriously. than than they were in the 80s yeah. i mean i would have this is gobbledygook for the 80s <laughs> <guess>.
2: <laughs> yes i love it thank you emma love
1: to bring you in cool thank you uh really interesting sheila and won't surprise you to to hear that you know everything you're saying is completely resonating with what we talk about and what we write about and and the way we do business um just gonna pick up on the purpose point then I'll ask you a question. I think it's really interesting. We, we talk a lot about purpose, obviously. And yeah. uh, I have a little soapbox <laughs> moment as well about purpose, which is um, there's a lot of people that do jobs that would probably find it pretty insulting if you try to give them some big transcendental purpose. So I always talk about when I was trimming lettuces as a, as a student and I was bringing up the trimming lettuces job because it was a really crappy job. Um, I worked in a, a farm, a big farm, there wasn't a purpose if someone had tried to convince me there was some kind of big transcendental purpose I'd have been really really effed off with that They tried to say we're helping to put you know salad on the nation's tables I'd have been like no I'm just trimming lettuces, mate you know so (laughs) I think it's it's really easy to kind of you know because we work with big corporates right and it's much easier when you're a big corporate and over the years you know the, the purpose of the big piece started I think with the the Obvious places. So you would give for charities, they've got a great purpose. And then after a while, I mean I did a lot of work with Capital One and, and, and their purpose and their mission, which is about changing banking for good. And and I kind of was I was taken on a journey with that, with working with them and realized that actually the less obvious players could have a really great purpose. And, and I really bought into that and it's changed, but I still think it's a lot of people that do jobs where, you know, they don't have purpose with the big people but they, they get their meaning, as you say, from the fact that. They love the people they work with. They love their customers, for example. They love every day serving, you know, teas and coffees to the people that come into their shop because they have a great conversation with them. And I think it's just really useful to kind of remember, remember that piece as well. Um, but Have you got any thoughts on any of that? Bit of a ramble there for me. Bit of a soapbox moment for me.
3: Yeah, well, I I, I I have been challenged about this. I suppose, I, you know, I think part of the part of the problem with thinking that people want a transcendental purpose is that you that you don't recognize what their purpose is to them yeah and and you know not everybody like I used to say this to and I think you know I'll tell you somebody clever who said it Frank Apple CEO Deutsche Post DHL he said you know he said as as the sort of um what's the word the, the 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 sort of spokesman of purpose for for his own company he said look you know in some, in some some people you know if you start talking about purpose at work they think they think you're trying to be a priest you know, they think of it as a sort of religious or it's it's a topic for spiritual uh, leaders not not company leaders and so he was he was very good at making purpose relevant for individuals and I think it's this is part of wanting people to feel pride in what they do I, I you know I don't wake up in the morning worrying about you know when I work for Mars Drinks, you know I wasn't worrying about you know the state of the of the of the sort of um, vending machine you know market that didn't actually fire me up what I was wanting was to help somebody be as effective as they could be in their job from what I did I could help Friedrich understand the very strange environment of moving to Slough from you know Frankfurt and working with an, in a new environment. i I could say to him, you know the differences between the English and the German, business mark business communications is whatever I, I could tell him to you know he loved football so like he was onto a winner you know but I mean I, I could sort of talk to him about how to communicate more effectively with his teams that was my purpose not not whether or not the, the bending machine market was going to you know rise or fall so so it, it, in your when you were picking lettuces, you were probably doing it for cash to do something much more interesting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and that's OK. You know, yeah. we don't all need yeah. to change the world. Even Simon Sinek says it. You know, you don't want to change the world. You want to change the, the one experience of your customer in front of you absolutely
1: that day. Never that. yeah yeah we had a um, um, rob on from tailored thinking recently talking about job crafting i think it's where job crafting really comes into its own that idea that you know y- you may have a little bit of autonomy to just make some little tweaks the job you're doing to give you a sense of, actually, I, I can get something out of this. So the obvious example is the the cleaner who tends to everyone's plants when when she or he cleans the office you know, and they get something out of that. So I think it's spot on. Um, I wanted to come back to the pride model because I'm really interested in energy. So talk to you about energy. That's a really interesting one.
3: Oh, wow, energy. Well, particularly now, isn't it? I mean, that's, this, this is another thing that, you know, it, it's, I think, I think a lot of people are talking about energy now because we are all lacking so much, so many sources of energy. Um, so, I, 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 so I, I think I'd like to sort of approach it that way. Energy, energy at work, I think is 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 that that element that will enable you to keep on going. You know, um, I look to energy back in in, in, you know before the book as a kind of economic factor about work that not a lot of people were looking at and that's connected to how long we simply have to work like there's we can celebrate the fact we're living longer and and yet in order to fund our lives we are all going to have to work longer so like you know retirement if you like that used to be a fixed point in someone's life set set in the years when, you know, most people died at, you know, 70 or 75, you know, retirement was actually quite a short time at the end of your life, if you're looking at it statistically, you know, either it's going to be very long, or you're, or you're going to have a blend. And most people, um, most people I know, in, in, you know, the post-retirement years, uh, as, as far as age is concerned are, are, are working like they have portfolio careers or they're working part-time or whatever but they're all having to earn more money to live and um, companies are were very quick to sort of discard people in early retirement mm-hmm. and and you know um, they they weren't really thinking about helping individuals, be healthy for longer, so they could work for longer. So I w- I regarded energy as that. I looked at it in in those with those eyes. You know, this is an economic factor that you should be worrying about because if you want to be a sustainable company, you need to think about the global um, working population. As an individual, you know, I think energy. We derive energy from different different sources. And personally, I mean you know, without upsetting the people I live with. You know, I mean, I, I love them, but I, I just need to get out. You know, I, I need to connect with, I can't wait to get back to London for face-to-face meetings, for, for you know, meetings where we where we brainstorm something, where we solve a problem, where we talk around it. Um, I, I can't wait to go back to live theatre, to live shows. I, I, I don't want to see anything else, you know, streamed. I'm done with it you know um like the Orange Theatre is one of my favorites in Richmond it's like it's a tiny theatre but my god there's so much energy from performers and all that so we're starved and so we're exhausted And, and whether you're working I mean I'm pretty lucky you know I've got a nice airy room I can work in and all that sort of stuff open space but but you know the things that actually excite me apart from my work I haven't been able to do in the last you know, 18 months and nor has anybody else. Mm-hmm. So, so those things that we do outside work aren't feeding us. That's why we're all so tired. Is not, you know, it, it, we haven't had all those things that give us balance, that give us fresh perspective, that, um, that give us inspiration in my case. You know, I, I, I'm inspired by, by creative talent. Uh, that's what makes me believe I can do it myself
1: yeah you know absolutely yes I'm completely with you on all that and as a off-the-scale extrovert I I'm solar powered I get my my energy from other people I'm desperate like you to to get back out there even sitting on a train a busy train I can't (laughs) wait I'm like people around me I'm so completely with you on that and I think it's a really really good conversation around energy and I know Justin will have some thoughts on this is definitely moving into more of your your sort of field here and um I think it's really good to kind of keep this conversation going because I think I've been reading a lot about the, the term languishing recently you know we're, we're not we're not kind of well say we we're all we many of us are not in that place where we would be classed or you know would meet the, the criteria for depression but we're not thriving we're just languishing and it's almost like the, the the most challenging place to be so um on that point i'm going to pass it over to justin because i think that's a good point because it's going into your sort of field here isn't it justin so i'm sure you've got some questions for sheila
0: oh oh yes what a great conversation <laughs> sheila. um and yeah energy is a lovely connection point and uh, i see in the comments there steve has mentioned that in, in your book um he says in your book you kindly gave me airtime to talk about where IC pros can get energy, drawing it from our professional community when we don't always get it within our own organisations. Um, so that's a nice bit of feedback and it links nicely to this idea of where we get our energy from. Um, and in, in resilience terms, we talk about the importance of a support network as being an absolute essential uh, ingredient for for resilience, you know, because people tend to have this notion of resilient people being alone, solo on the mountaintop. And of course, actually the research shows that the opposite is true, uh, that people who have been through, particularly when you look at people who've been through extreme hardship, they've got through that hardship by making connections with people, uh, even when they've been isolated in a prison cell 24 hours a day 24 hours a day alone they manage to connect with other people by tapping on the pipes for example you know so this thing about being connected with other people is a theme that keeps running through uh, the research show I have a I have a uh, traditionally on these calls Sheila I like to ask the question about bringing together the organizational perspective and the personal perspective but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on pride in terms of what the connection is between pride at work and pride at home, if you like, to to use a broad term. So um, I I is because I'm I'm wondering, you know, is pride something that's sort of innate that if you find because I'm always, you know, like you take the example of the person at the cash register at your local supermarket, they can sometimes choose to be engaged and involved and demonstrate pride in what they're doing and then someone else will be in the same circumstances working with the same organization but look like it's the last place in the world that they want to basically prefer to stab themselves in the eye with a fork and so i'm wondering what 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 what's the difference there why is that happening is that to do with the personal quality that people have or or or, or what um,
3: so i'm really loath to say um definitively a or B. Mm. Um, I, I think that the, our contract at work is is definitely two-way it's like when people used to talk about engagement i mean you have to actually be open to be engaged you know hey I, I you know we love the term we live on the term we've worked in it but we kind of uncomfortable with the whole term engagement but but it you know it's work is not a two, not a one way street uh, nor is energy you know energy we have a we have a responsibility to be healthy enough, to keep ourselves healthy enough to, to, to perform our role. And an organisation has a responsibility to keep us safe and well within the parameters of our role. So, so it's, it's a, you know, it a whole kind of EVP is, is a contract. But life can be so much more than that, you know. And, and And work and life are so blended, you know, that I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible, I'll say that too, To to be happy if you're miserable at work, or to be happy if you're miserable in your domestic relationships. So so it's both, you know. But um, these two people sitting at their cash desks, definitely it's partly them. But my philosophy is that in the workplace, if you can make everything else um, even, even-handed, fair, encouraging, positive, um, mutual, collaborative—that creates an energy, a culture, or an energy, or whatever you'd like to call it, around that workplace that is infectious. Yeah. So, so I, I had you know twenty employees, and and I, and, and one of my favorite of, of all the employees in all the times I've 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 worked and employed people, there was somebody who just didn't engage in our culture they were more solitary they were they were more um, oh um, critical uh, you know they just didn't have that kind of performing seal happy clappy gene you know that a lot of us do in communications and and frankly it was a struggle because you know we had conversations about we had to have conversations about it because even though you know we didn't all need to be the same we all needed to have buy into the culture that we were creating in the agency that for the majority so I had to say to this highly talented individual you know when when I come in in the morning I really do expect you to take your hand off your mouse and your and your earphones your headphones off and say good morning and I don't care if I've come in 10 minutes after the last time you did it you know we're we're a team and we we need each other and we need each other to 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 you know to do this and to, to generate uh, this this culture between us um you know and, and that's just a tiny example but you, you you kind of take an example of somebody who's not not pulling their weight you know you need to tell them yeah. you can't just leave un, unengaged people lying around you know in, influencing others um and have an absolute actually they people have choice. I mean this this lovely person I'm telling you about who worked with me worked with me for like 12 years so they can't have hated the culture that much you know um and are we're friends you know but it just we had different styles but that when it came to things that mattered like acknowledging each other communicating with each other um being open to, to 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 change you know being respecting each other's wishes you know of course they had those those um strengths and that and we had that in common um they just wouldn't smile as much you know them um, yeah yeah and, and you know I, I do think that that um that you really can offer make the offer to people to 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 love their job to to do something that they're proud of to identify what it is and that's the thing with, with what Emma was saying about you know picking picking lettuces I mean you do, you do want people to do that well you do want people not to sabotage your your crop. You do want you do need them to give the best they can give in that role, and 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 you're not getting that if somebody on a checkout is not smiling.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. So I I love your answer. Thank you, Sheila. Um, it, of course it's not A or B, is it? Um, but I wanted to explore that question with you because I'm I'm fascinated always by the connection between yes the world the world of world at home and the world of work and I agree with you that I, I'm in a soapbox, soapbox moment I'm always saying that to, to people who I work with I'm like it, it isn't the, there isn't a balance it's a blend we're, we're the same person we're just in a different room or yeah. on a different zoom as, as it is for yeah
3: yeah
0: although so, so not so many of us if we've read the recent research into how many people who've been working from home it's, it's not actually that many. Um, slight digression. So I, I, I find that really interesting and it's now sparked a conversation that I, I think I'll pick up with Emma and, and Belinda Cage after about the role of recruitment as well in, playing, in creating a great employee experience because if you get the right people, if you can manage to get the right people right at the beginning, then of course that makes the journey uh, and the possibility of them having developing pride much uh, easier, isn't it? I mean, you look at someone like like Pratt and Mongey, who wants obviously have a very, very clear recruitment policy around the type of people they want to be representing them to the public, and uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty universal, isn't it? So recruitment, and then leadership, and then ultimately, yeah, change and choice. Um, if things don't don't quite fit together, uh, Sheila. Thank you. I'm going to pass over to to Belinda because we're we're running. Tight on time. So um, thank you. And back to you, B.
2: I loved, I loved your point um, about respecting individual differences and in styles, but also knowing what where everybody is responsible for upholding the, cu- the the culture. So we're not asking everybody to be the same, um, but we're asking everybody to respect and support. Um, the culture in those most important elements and i i, I was thinking emma and i are having a big conversation at the moment about um understanding and, and designing the best possible hybrid experience for different organizations that looks different everywhere obviously but actually i'm wondering whether those individual differences you know the person that doesn't look up and say hello for example whether that is amplified when people are remote so there's something about the the distance that amplifies those so actually having that conversation about how do we want this team to be? How do we want our culture to be? What are our, not a the our golden rules almost that we must all, yes, we can be individually different, but what are the things that we must all uphold, you know, that we can agree on? That feels like a really valuable conversation to to have around hybrid. So thank you for throwing that into the mix. It's definitely got, got me thinking. I've got <clears throat> one last, it's a, it's a little big question for you, which is, um, what are you most proud of?
0: That is oh a big one. god
2: oh
3: god i you know it's what i ask everybody um it just, it just you ask me that and it just proves how personal it is you know this is like a personal emotion it's a very private not private but it's a very individual emotion and um and and when i ask other people that that they they generally go to something that involves people they love and very much other people it's, it isn't often generated, you know, from this huge wealth of pride oneself. And so I think, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a wife and a mum. And so I, I, I have to say, I, you know, I'm really proud of the relationships I have with my family. And we, you know, we laugh about, um, you know, COVID and, and, and lockdown. But actually the fact that, you know, three adults chose to come back and live with me and my husband for five months you know they're in their late 20s 30s you know and you know independent people coming back to mum and dad I, I actually I'm actually thrilled because it 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 shows they wanted to be with us um as opposed to in their cold lonely empty flats not as opposed to you know in their nice um you know with their with other people so so you know I'm, I'm really proud of that I'm proud of the relationships I have with 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 a lot of people, you know, what, at, at my book launch, one of my clients um, hosted, and unbeknownst to me, had gone around the room, finding out how long people had known me, and so he played this game, you know, about how long, how long I'd known I'd known people, and an awful lot of people in the room I'd known, you know, a long time, and so I, I really love people, and I and I like the relationships I have I have with people. So I guess that's that. You know, if you really push me, that's that's it. And and, and the fact that you know, um, my my kids bought me a big birthday present, and I did a skydive. You know, and they all came to watch me. And it's the last thing I did in 2019. With you know, clasped clasped to, to, to clasp tightly to a, a lovely paratrooper. You know, I mean, you know, that gives me a, a an energy rush just thinking about it and you know i recommend it thoroughly to anybody who hasn't done it
2: wow i love both of your answers to (laughs) my last little big question thank you so much now i'll hand up to just i'll hand back to
3: justin to finish us off thanks thanks very much
0: (laughs) thank you belinda and uh i have to say finish with an apology to steve who uh he also had a last little big question which we which we won't get to so apologies for that steve but I think you, uh, you know Sheila anyway, so you can just call her up and have a, meet her in person, have a cup of tea with her yes. or a <laughs> glass of wine. <clears throat> um, anyway, uh, Sheila, thank you so much. And what a lovely theme to finish on, which, as I've said earlier, is, a, is, a, is the thread that runs through all of these conversations is the importance of connection so you're talking there about your relationship with your 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 husband and your your children and how uh, pr- pr- proud <clears throat> it's easy for me to say how proud you are of um, your role as a as a wife and a mom and uh, uh Skydiver. Um, Thank you, Sheila. You've you've done what great conversations do, which has sparked many more questions for further conversations. We really, really appreciate you you taking the time to to share your wisdom and um, insight with us. Uh, Folks, if you liked that and you want to see some more fantastic industry experts talking about their pet topics, um, please do join us next time. On the 2nd of June, we will be joined, we have a double header, two headline guests. Next time we've got Paul Barber and Lucy Widdison on building top performing teams. So again, uh, a, a theme very close to uh, the conversation today. Um, how pride perhaps plays a part in that too. We shall find out. In the meantime, thank you for joining us live. Thanks to my co-hosts producer and our very special guest, Sheila Parry. Thanks to all of you for viewing. Final request. If you do like what we do, please review and recommend. And if you don't, zip it. Thanks very much, folks. See you next time. Bye-bye.